Maybe then you can see me and I can see you Maybe then we'll come together as a people Tired of the pain cause it ain't new Let's come together as a people Even if we don't share the same view Welcome to the Jesus and Everything Foundation podcast. On this show, we look at all problems affecting the world and we discuss how we can solve them using the character of Jesus, unity, and decentralization of resources available to us. The character of Jesus, or as I like to call them, the Jesus character principles, are principles that whether you are a Christian or not, we can all agree on these principles. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For every episode, we discuss a problem topic from our category list. You can find this list on the Foundation's website, jaef.foundation. We ask ourselves and listeners, what is the goal? What is the vision for this problem category? What are the potential solutions? What are the obstacles? What resources do we need? And what resources do we have? But most importantly, do these solutions and resources pass the character test, the nine Jesus character principles? If yes, then we move on to collaboration. What does this look like? This show is a platform to get the ball rolling on as many problems affecting the world as we can. We want to go beyond just talking about problems. So after the show, we collaborate by acting. First, we open the discussion floor to our listeners. Then we decentralize and open source all of our resources from brain power, manpower, utilities to capital. Before every episode, I like to ask our viewers and listeners, do you ever ask yourself, where are we going? Where is this world going? Time keeps on ticking, the day ends, a new dawn arises, and life goes on. But what is our destination? Do we have any global objectives that unite us when it comes to things like food, security, healthcare, education, or standard of living? It's a fair question to ask. If you work for a company or work for yourself, you have a general idea about your company's vision. Goal. So what is our goal, our overarching vision as the current residents of this planet? What role is your company, your city, your country playing in the big picture? And what role are you who's listening to this playing in this big picture?
This is part two of the 9 to 2 versus 9 to 5 series. It's in our big picture and global perspective category under the subject of future of work. You can find the full list of industries we shall cover under this category on our website, jf.foundation. That is jaef.foundation. The objective of this series is to set the stage and open the discussion for those that believe that the eight-hour workday, nine to five, has run its course, and what's left of it are diminishing returns. In our last episode, we talked about a mapping of common activities from three different lifestyle options: single life, couple life, couple life with kids. We mapped common activities of these three different lifestyles to the 24 hours that we all get to spend every day to show that it's mathematically impossible to live a decent, satisfying, and fulfilling life with how the world is currently set up. In our estimates, we showed that a single person would roughly owe the 24-hour clock 3 hours and 39 minutes. A couple would roughly owe the 24-hour clock 4 hours and 39 minutes. And if the couple had children, they would easily owe the 24-hour clock at least 6 hours. So we concluded that it's mathematically impossible to live a decent, satisfying, and fulfilling life with how our world is currently set up. Something would have to give. Either sleep time, time required for preparing food at home, fitness, social time, or prayer time. In part two of this series, we'll continue to explore all the above. We'll also get into how a five-hour workday would be an investment into work productivity as well as overall community productivity and country efficiency. It would be an indirect investment or perhaps even a direct investment into mental health, homeschooling and nurturing, fitness and wellness. And this would drastically improve the Global Joy Index or Global Excitement Index, both at work and at home. I don't have all the answers, but I believe we can put our minds together and get to the bottom of things. So open up your heart and mind and let's take a ride. Welcome back to episode two of the nine to two versus nine to five series. It's our five hour workday versus the eight hour workday series. In the last episode, I laid the groundwork for how we shall approach the subject of the future of work. I posed the question to you asking, what should the future of work look like in the new normal post COVID-19? You know, should the workforce keep running on the nine to five treadmill or is it time to rethink our work culture? I was laying the groundwork with the detailed, it may not have been super detailed, covered everything, but I was using, I used an example of three lifestyle choices. And I said, okay, everyone has 24 hours to operate in a day. And I, and I used a single lifestyle and what, the use of time looks like if, if you're single, if you're a couple, and if you're a couple with kids. And I, I made some thought-provoking arguments that we need to shift to a five-hour workday. And that may not be a surprise to most of you. And I was talking about why I strongly believe this, because 
I think if I, I believe that a five-hour workday is the answer to revitalizing our world economies, human creativity, restoring family bonds, and restoring that mental and physical health that we critically need around the world today. So in, in the last episode, I, I was mentioning about, I mean, I was talking about how nine to five is literally killing people. And I said, it's time for five-hour workday. And creativity can be sparked back into our world today if we get from an eight-hour workday to a five-hour workday. And I know some of you might think, well, are you you, you suggesting that people work less? I mean, it's not working right now, what we're doing. The eight-hour workday is not working for anyone. For a lot of people, for majority, if we look at if we look at how the lifestyle results, it's not benefiting anyone, and that's why we have a lot of you know stress. You know, we have a lot of uh, mental health. It, it's almost uh, it's become like it's another pandemic, mental health, and it's probably gonna stay here much longer than COVID. So I, I try to use um, an example and I say, okay, we have 24 hours in the day. And I say, let's look at a typical use case of 24 hours if you are single. And, you know, we said, okay, if you sleep, if you know, if you go to sleep, you know, six to eight hours, Unless the average of that is seven, you know, you're down to 17 hours. And and if you work, you know, eight hours, now you're down to nine hours to spend. And I said, uh, I said, okay, if you factor in commuting to and fro, you know, work an average being, let's say about 1.5 hours, we use, we use some different estimates and you know, if you factor in your commuting to and fro work, you know, you're down to seven, seven and a half hours. And then we threw in um, self-care and bathroom. And, you know, average came out, you know, you know, we factored in morning self-care and bathroom as well as nighttime self-care and bathroom. And, you know, the total of that was about one and a half hours. So you factor that in, take, you know, subtract that from the seven and a half hours you had left, you're down to six hours. You know, we factored in eating, you know, just feeding, just sitting down and eating breakfast, lunch, snacking or dinner. And, you know, that I averaged out, you know, about one and a half hours. And so if you had six hours left, you take that off, you're down to four and a half hours. And we factored in things like food prep, you know, you know, time that you need to prepare your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner. And that was about you know, 1.58 hours and you were down to, uh, what was it? You were down to 2.9, let's say about three hours. And then we started factoring in things like fitness, you know, and, and we use some, you know, some, we use different estimates, you know, we use average, you know, our average was taken from, you know, you know, some people 30 minutes, some people 45, some people an hour, some people an hour and a half, you know, then some people work out two hours. So, once we take that off, we're down to 1.7 hours. And we factored in that you have to go, you have to get from to and fro your place of uh, physical activity. 
you know, if it's a gym, we factored in about 15 minutes to get there, 15 minutes to get back home. And, you know, we're now down to 1.27 hours. And then we we factored in, you know, prayer and meditation. And we said, okay, if, if you pray or meditate for 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes at night, which I think is still very little time compared to the, you know, kind of like the mental activity that we are bombarded with during the day. 30 minutes is just like peanuts. So we only had 1.27 hours left. And now we factor in prayer and meditation. So we're now down to 0.27 hours, which is pretty much like, hmm. And then, so we said, hey, if that's all you have left to spend and you spend it on socializing slash winding down slash your me time, you, you know, you've used up the whole clock. You've used up the whole 24 hours. And if you're only socializing for 0.27 hours, which is about 16 minutes, if that's the only time we're leaving people for their me time, it's not ideal. And it's impossible to operate on that as a human being. It is impossible. It's, it's not ideal. It's not healthy by any means for any human being to live like this. But I'm just painting the picture of saying, hey, the eight-hour workday, it's, it's impossible. If we put everything that a, a human being who's single, who's not even married, who doesn't even have kids, if we say, okay, this is what we expect of you, this is the society, uh, societal demands, this is, how we, this is how, this is the system that is in place, that if you're going to operate in this system or live in this country, this is what people have to go through, and we mapped all their activities during the day on 24 o'clock, well, we're down, we can see we, we have deficiency in we in so many areas, you know, like people only have 16 minutes to socialize. I don't even think there's a, is there, is there any episode on, on Netflix that is 16 minutes? You know, this is probably longer than, probably shorter than um, an album, an LP. <laughs> so you can see where the pressures start to build up from. You know, something has to give if we go through all these activities. Either you're asking people not to pray or meditate. You know, either you're asking people not to work out. Either people have to end up, instead of preparing good, nutritious meals for them and their families, they now have to resort to canned food or pre-prepared uh, pre meals. You know, and now it gets back into, well, no one has, no one has time to sit down at a dinner table for 45 minutes to eat a meal. Now we're getting back into the territory of like, you know, having to rely on supplements, um, commuting to work, you know, or something has to give, you know, like maybe they have to sleep for five hours. They can't afford to sleep for seven hours. They can't afford to sleep for eight hours, which is what they actually need to function and be productive at, at the office, but they can't. So you can see where the pressure's um, and all the mental health issues come from that we're dealing with today. This is why I say that we need that five-hour workday to revitalize world economies. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you talk to most people, they spend, you know, those extra three hours that I'm talking about, they're spending it on, like, social media, or they're just not being productive anyways. So instead of wasting everybody's time, let's get these people, let them get back home, 
Let people start bonding with their families. Let them start creating real meaningful relationships. Let them spend some time working on their bodies. Let them let them work out. Let them socialize. Let them spend time with their kids. These are the things that we need right now. They're not happening. Teenagers, the suicide, uh, the suicidal rates are through the roof right now. The hotlines are just burning up. You know, parents are away from their children. You know, it's become a nanny economy. You know, being a nanny, there's so many apps that have raised money so that people can easily find a nanny. Like, parent kids are growing up without their parents because of this. And even when their parents get back at home, they can't socialize with them. There's just not enough time. Something has to give. Mommy and dad have to worry about, you know, paying back, um, you know, the mortgage or these other things. So spending time with you, that's going to have to happen on the weekends. It's not enough. So the way the current system is set up, it's impossible not to be pressured and be overwhelmed and anxious. So whereas most people will throw these anxiety on the people themselves, I was saying that, no, wait a minute. I, I think it's uh, these two people to, to, to blame. You know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, we are the system and we can change the system. So it's not so much, you know, like if we're going to pass the blame around, I, I think the if we're going to say the system is 100% to blame, but we are, we've created the system. The system didn't create us. Well, we created the system, which has now created us. Now that's the problem we have. And so you can see, and if we factored in for someone who's single and say, hey, we didn't account for them cleaning up, you know, you know, they prepared their food, they got to clean up. You know, if we say, okay, they, you know, some people clean up, you know, 30 minutes, 45 or an hour, as you can see, they didn't have any time left in their 24 hours. So now they're owing 0.7, you know, 75 hours, which is about 45 minutes. So they're owing the clock. 45 minutes. And we say with the pressures that are bombarding us mentally right now, you know, if we increase meditation time or prayer time to one hour in the morning and one hour at night to a total of two hours of meditation or prayer per day, now that extra one hour means we're owing an hour and 45 minutes. You know, and we say if we now increase the me time, from the impossible 16 minutes, let's say to two hours of me time, of winding down and socializing, you know, that extra, th th those extra, that extra, that extra two hours, if we add it onto the deficit that we had before, now we're owing 3.65 hours. So we're owing about uh, three hours and maybe around 37 minutes. You know what I'm saying? So, and this this is just someone who's single. So then I, I I use an example of another lifestyle. I say, what if you're a couple? You know, two people living together. You know, they would both be operating on the same amount of borrowed time. You know, but the the thing is, they would have they would either have to use their personal me time to spend it together, which means none of them would have any time to spend by themselves. And that's also dangerous for relationships. If two people are just spending 
they don't have any time apart to spend time by themselves. And their socializing time is because they don't have time to spend apart. Now they got to use it together. Now that creates some kind of unhealthy relationship, you know? So, you know, they'll have to use up their personal me time, you know, to spend it together, which means none of them would have any time to spend by themselves. And if we, if we say, if we let both of them keep their time, their me time and allocate that time, just, and we just even increase it to one hour to bond and build their relationship or marriage or whatever it is, the time deficit increases. So now right off the bat, you know, if it's a couple with no children, you know, they're owing about four hours and about 37 minutes. As you can see, the math is now impossible, right? Now it becomes extreme if we now use another scenario of now, what if the couple has children? Hmm. Now you can factor in all these things. If the couple has children, then more time is gonna be needed for all these other activities. They're gonna need more time to, pre uh, to prep kids for school in the morning, uh, their food, their clothing. They're gonna need time to prep their kids for bed at night. You know, they, they're gonna need time to check their homework. They're gonna need more time to drop off kids to school and pick them up. You know, and sometimes, you know, they're gonna need time to walk their kids to and from the bus stop or maybe drive them to the bus stop. If they're not, if they don't have to drive them to school, at least they have to do these things. And then it just means more extra time is going to be needed for cleaning up. And uh, what about parents plus kids bonding time? That is also needed. So easily, easily, these an extra. Hmm, there's easily an extra, you know, an, another three to five hours, easily, I would say at least five, three to five hours in a day that a couple of children would need. So they would be owing almost eight hours. So that's where you see a lot of this business, other businesses kind of spring forth from because the parents can't spend time with the kids. Now they got to have a nanny. But it's not the nanny that brought the kids into this world. It, that's like, you know, like they gotta, the kids got to spend more time at the daycare. It, it's just not a good long-term strategy. It's, it's not because the nourishment flow is always better when it comes from the headship, you know, from the parents down to the children. Once now you start putting a lot of people in between the parents and the children, now you're putting in nannies there, you're putting in a lot of daycare time. Even with teenagers, you know, once it goes from these teens are spending more time, I think, I think we're going to dive into it just actually um, in a few seconds, maybe today's episode, I'll, I'll try to get to it. But, you know, I was talking about teens and a lot of teens are spending, are growing up on the internet. And we know the internet is not the safest place right now because one thing about the internet is that once anything gets some kind of popularity or it gets some kind of, you know, on the internet right now, if you can get a thousand people to agree on any kind of lifestyle, that, that somehow becomes a norm. And 
So we have teenagers that are already being bombarded with the pressures of adolescence. You know, they're trying to keep up or trying to figure out, you know, the, the, the evolution of their bodies, how their bodies are changing and so many new, you know, feelings that are, are being experienced. And now on top of the pressures of school and now you're adding on this confusion that is also bombarding them on the internet, you know, whereby the internet, like people are just growing up on the internet, you know, kids are not spending enough time with mom and dad to learn like some skills, you know, to get handy, to, you know, to learn how to, you know, prepare food for themselves, you know, to, to just, you know, basic life skills that used to be transferred down directly from mom and dad down to the kids. That's kind of going out the window. You know, everything is being learned on the internet. So you can see, but it's because the parents, they're not available. Something has to give, you know, because of pursuit of the money at work or they have to be at work or things like things of this nature, their relationship with their kids has to give. Their relationship with their teenagers has to give. And now the problem becomes that it now ends up boiling into like juvenile delinquencies. You know, like you have a lot of uh, teenage problems, you know, suicidal risk because these kids, they, they don't know who to go to because they never in the first place built any bonding time with mom and dad. So even when they deal with an issue at school, they don't feel safe enough to go to mom and dad. But again, now they cannot go back to the school environment where that pressure is coming from. So now they're looking for help and they can't find it because they were denied that opportunity to build a relationship, a close mom and, you know, relationship between, you know, the, the parents with their parents. When they're teenagers, this is the time that they can now rely on their relationship that they've been building up to that point to say, hey, dad, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Hey, mom, I'm struggling with this. But they cannot do that because they don't feel that closeness to them, you know? And now they're looking at the internet for answers. And the internet is just filled with confusion right now. So you, you have this whole cycle of confusion, but you can see where it's coming from. And so the current system right now, you can see we have to operate like robots under the current system, the eight hour workday. It, it's impossible. Mathematically, it's impossible. The only way to even come close to being able to do everything within those 24 hours means you have to be a robot. Like you just have to go from A to B, do what you have to do, then move on to the next thing. It's not a human being type of lifestyle. It almost seems like only millionaires or billionaires or I don't know, whatever you want to call them, you know, the young, rich and famous. It, all, it almost feels like right now, that's what it seems like, that these are the only categories of people who can live a healthy, decent, fun and enjoyable life right now. You know, I, I, I'll keep on mentioning it. I, I get a lot of my feedback from, the, from my natural surroundings. And, you know, I, I'll go on a walk and I, I, you won't very rare. I don't very rare. You'll see me, you know, music in my ears or or kind of like on my phone type thing, because I like to look around. I like to see what people are doing. 
and get feedback. I, I people watch. I see what people are doing, how they're walking, their posture while they're walking. How are their shoulders? Are they pointing downwards? How's their head? Is it looking at the ground? I remember one time I was coming from the gym. It was in the morning. Man, it was a very beautiful sunrise. And, and it was, uh, you know, just a beautiful morning glow of the sun. And I just remember seeing this guy and he was walking for like, I, I, I was watching him for probably like 20 meters. And he was walking with his head, shoulders hankered down, bent over with his head looking at the ground. He could not even, he didn't look, he didn't look ahead. And I'm like, what is that? There's so many people who are walking, who, who are walking around like this. They are so stressed out. They're so beat down. You know, a lot of people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, they just look beat down, man. They, they like I said, this guy just looked so beat down. And I was, I just felt so sad. I said, man, it, it's it's like 8 a.m. or like 7 a.m., I think, where it sounds. But I was like, you know, like, is there really nothing for you to even just look up? You know, anything give you reason to just kind of look ahead? That's how bad he was. And I guess maybe this is metaphorical. He had nothing to look ahead to. A lot of people look beat down. This is not right. It's honestly not encouraging to look at old folks. They just look beat down. You know, you look at people, like as I say, people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, it almost like when you look at them, you're like, is that where I'm headed? It's not exciting. It, it almost looks like this system, this conveyor belt, I mean, this treadmill that people are going through, it almost just looks like it just whips, every, it just whips the humanity out of everyone. By the time people get out, get, you know, are done with working 30 years, 40 hours a week, the only thing left is, man, they're just ready to die. No, that is not right. And that's why we keep hearing expressions like, I can't wait to get off work. You know, thank God it's Friday. I can't wait for the long weekend. You know, there's, there's a big problem to that. You know, it's good when you post you know, look at it as a meme or and laugh at it, but there's a lot of truth behind it. You know, every joke has some truth behind it. People just, it's almost like they don't want to be at work. But work should be more about how we use our creativity that we've been gifted with, how God has blessed you in whatever you're good at. How do you use that to support or serve the society around you? That's what work should be. That's how fun. That's that's where we need to get it back to. You know, by investing, this is what I believe, by investing in, in people this way, you know, nine to two, you know, I believe it's one of the first steps that we can go back to increasing work productivity as well as overall um, community productivity and then country efficiency. You know, by reducing it to a five-hour workday, changing how we work, you know, you are indirectly investing in things like mental health, homeschooling and nurturing, fitness, wellness. Because these are the these are the areas, the areas where we take time from so that we can go to work are the same areas that people are struggling right now that a lot of the mental health pressures have built up from. 
you know, all the diseases that are coming through obesity and uh, just unhealthy lifestyle choices, it's because the system is set up almost like you, we are serving the system. No, work should be about what has God gifted me with? You know, you have to think about, let's look, let's look at sports as an example. There should not be a huge gap between how much athletes are paid and what, let's say, teachers are paid or doctors or any other professions. But you know why? It's because we look at other professions as not exciting. You know, like athletes don't, it's work for them. But, you know, like when they go to work, they don't say, man, I can't wait to get off work. When they wake up in the morning, they're like, oh, let me say, movie, like say movie actor or some, someone like that. They look forward to getting to work. It's their happy place. We should have doctors getting up excited and say, man, I, I can't wait to, you know, cure 10 people today. Or like just, you know what I mean? Like impact people. But if you have teachers who are not excited to go to teach, if you have doctors who are not excited to go to the hospital to cure patients, if you have people who are operating in restaurants who are cooking and they're not happy to be there, if you have policemen, police officers who are not happy to do that job, if you have people in a manufacturing line who don't feel creative to be there, oh, it's that's where our society is failing right now. The same quality of output that we have when you watch a sports game, be it football, baseball, soccer, the quality of the product when you sit down and watch a sports event should be the same expected quality of output if you go into a classroom and you see a teacher teaching students, third graders, 10th grade, high school, you know, it it should feel like every time if you if you went to to just sit into a class to what do they call it to just kind of sit into a class and just assess the class. Let's say if it was a math class, algebra class, and the at the end of the day, at the end of that class, you should almost feel like you should pay for having been in that classroom watching that teacher teach because it was like art you know it's like you were watching art the way the teacher just kind of broke down the problem and all the students were just like wow just kind of dumbed it down it should feel like art in every prof in every profession right now but it doesn't feel like it almost feels like it's just like a few selected industries where it feels like those people get to enjoy and we pay them a lot of money because we watch them do their craft. You know, I should enjoy, you know, walking into a manufacturing plant and see how someone is having these parts assembled with ease, with so much joy. That should bring me so much joy visually as maybe watching a doctor do some kind of surgery or whatever it is. Like every, every profession should feel like art. It shouldn't just be sports only. That's the problem. Because right now, um, I, this, is, this is my own metric. I call it the global happy index or the global joy index. Right now, the global happy index or the global joy index is at an all-time low. 
And I'm saying whether this is at work or at home, people aren't just excited about work. And they're not even excited about their life um, either. Yeah, it's at, it's an, at uh, all time low right now. You know, it shouldn't be. Um, how can I put this? So, yeah, so it shouldn't be only the people who work at companies like Google, Facebook, Apple that should be excited about going to work. No, because if you actually look at the, if you look at the numbers and you say, how many people, if you want to add it, if you want to add it all up, let's say Amazon, let's say Google, Facebook, Apple, let's, let's go with like the US. If it's only about 10 companies that have excited employees, and if you combine their total workforce, if it's under, let's say, 3 million people, and let me use, let's say, the example of the US, or let me use Canada. So let's say Canada has a population of about 30, yeah, what's the population of Canada? 35? Okay, so if the top companies in Canada are only employing they're employing under 5 million people. And you, let's say you have only 5 million people and the top companies in Canada are not employing 5 million people because if you add all the people that Amazon employs about a million people plus, maybe 1.2, Walmart employs one point something. And this is all globally. So whether you look at Canada or the US or just take your country, if it's only 10% of the population or 5% of the population in your country is excited to go to work because those are the people who work at the top kind of companies. That's a very big problem because what about everybody else? Do you see what I mean? If only 10% of the population in Canada is excited to go to work, what about the 90%? That means there's a 90% deficiency or a 90% efficiency that we aren't harnessing. That's how the map, that's how you should look at it. If you only have two, you know, if you, if let's say in your company, you have 10 employees and only two people are excited to come to work. That means there's productivity out of eight other people that you're not squeezing out of. And trust me, that's when companies start to fall apart. That's when companies cannot be profitable. Is because eight, eight, eight of you know, eight out of ten, eighty percent of your workforce is not excited to come to work. Their creative juices are not pouring in when they come to work. They're just looking to come to work, get the check, and they're out. So your company is hurting. And and actually, if you look at the people who are working, let's say, at these, at these top companies, albeit getting a lot of money. Uh, one of the things that you saw when the pandemic first hit is uh, there was this, this massive exodus from, from Silicon Valley. It's almost like once people were told that, hey, they can work remotely, a lot of people were like, hey, I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to Montana where I can buy. It's crazy because even, even Silicon Valley, like you can, you know, with, with a, 
with a two hundred dollar with a two hundred thousand dollar paycheck, you can't afford a house. Like you were talking about an apartment, you know, it's only the founders of a startup company, which is either going public or, you know, which is you know that can afford houses or maybe uh, founders that have sold their companies, you know, that exited, you know, so yes, these people who work at these companies, let's say Google getting $200,000 and all they could afford was apartments in Silicon Valley. So once the pandemic hit and people were able to work remotely, you can go on Twitter, you can find all these, these stories, you know, people were just running out of the valley They're saying, Hey, if I don't need to come to work every day, I might as well just go get me a house right by the lake somewhere in another state, in another province. You know, a lot of people are coming back to Canada, a lot of entrepreneurs because they say, hey, I don't have to be locked into an apartment lifestyle. But imagine these people are making $200,000. This just an add up. You can see that. So they were getting a lot of money, but they were not even able to meet the, the minimum they're not able to meet the standard of living of Silicon Valley, you know, San Francisco. And they had to go somewhere else. So it's almost like this pandemic was a relief to them. And the thing that they also realized is that, uh, that they realized was uh, a big paycheck at the expense of family time with your kids and memories with loved ones is not is no longer worth it at the end of the day at the end of your life the things that are going to matter to you will never be the amount of money that you made like when 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 kind of like the curtain is closing you it's memories that you have so a lot of a lot of these people these companies who because these companies want to make it impossible they want to make their workplace so lucrative that people don't feel like going back home. This is one of the things I'm talking about. We're innovating towards having people want to be at work all day for some reason to feed this economic engine that still has is still in debt. People are still in debt. People are living on credit cards. And, and somehow we're trying to figure out a way to keep people at work, but it's not even working. It hasn't paid off. So now when they realize that, hey, I'm getting a big paycheck, but it's not worth my family time anymore. You know, time with your kids, building good family time with your spouse, with your kids, with the people that matter the most to you. It wasn't worth it to them. So they they started to exit from the valley and, and we see this happen, it's still happening. So there's a lot to talk about here. And... Uh, I think I'll just stop here for today, for this episode, and we'll pick it up from here in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. In the next episode, we'll continue to look at this notion which I've termed Global Joy Index or Global Excitement Index. A measuring stick for individuals' excitement, both at work and at home. We'll introduce a key question that I believe can reshape how companies hire people around the world. This one key question I believe should be the first question asked in every interview and we can use it to realign every employee into purpose-driven work. Destiny fulfilling work, or as some people call it, your life's calling.
This was part two of the 92 versus 95 series. And your host for today was Calvin Kabanda. Thanks for listening. Thank you.